Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. And I'm Josie Kilpack. Josie, we are so excited to have you with us. Would you like to just introduce yourself today? Um, yeah, I'm the non-scriptorian person here today. <laughs> but um, I'm born and raised here in Utah. I am a writer, primarily fiction. I've written um, several novels and uh, published with Shadow Mountain, also some national publishing. Uh, as for I why I'm here, I'm, novels. I'm, I'm so like, glad you're here. Oh, so I good. love your writing. Oh, and I am totally a fangirl. So. <laughs> well, it's, it's wonderful great. having you here. Today, uh, it's interesting, the next two weeks that we have together, today's kind of the sad, it just hurts my heart to talk about some of the things we're talking about today. And yet next week is the hallelujah, the hosanna. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm excited, but we need to have the anguish before we have the joy and the hope. And so um, as we talk about this, yes, if we shed some tears, because I'm afraid it's really hard for me to talk about this without getting a little teary-eyed, because it does. It hurts my heart. That's so funny because it makes me angry. So, <laughs> so I was looking well, we at my... we can have both, both emotions But today. I was saying I was looking at my scriptures and I haven't marked that set of passages in any of the four Gospels because I hate reading it. It just... It, I, I wish well, I was there to protect him. Things... So I'm so Peterish. I'm just going to get in trouble. <laughs> the ear. Well, <laughs> so but there's so many things that are important for us to understand. I so I do think that it is important for us to understand the bitter with the sweet. I know. And that, yeah, today is going to be the bitter. But before we get going to Matthew 27 and Mark 15 and Luke 23 and John 19, and realize in each one of these it is a very similar story, but with little nuances, little changes in each one of them. I'm going to start, though, with Matthew 26, kind of as our introduction to some of our discussion today, because we have some really important pieces that we really haven't talked about earlier. And so I do want to bring those up before we get into the actual discussion for this week. The first one is, if you go to Matthew 26, verses 48 to 50, um, and for me, this is truly bitter. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Told him fast, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, and this is the one that just kind of hurts my heart, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came thee and laid hands on Jesus and took him. So I wanted to ask you, first of all, why do you think Judas had the kiss be the sign? And the second question I had was, and then the Savior answers with friend. So do you have any thoughts on, on those two things? Well, I have heard it said, and that's a terrible phrase to say because it's <laughs> been years ago, that um, because a lot of them, well, some of the apostles were related. They were. Christ were um, cousins or second cousins. And so they may have looked similar, but they were all Galileans. And so it, the way they cut their hair may have been similar. The way, you know, so there may have been a similarity in viewing them that would have made it difficult to figure out, you know, they all had the same Who color hair. They all, you know, looked like a Galilean. They were all probably sunburned. 
Well, and was also in the at night. Right. I mean, right. we know too. And so I don't know about you, but my eyesight's not that good at right. night. So they anymore. may have had a, a physical different difficult time telling which, which he one was the uh, savior. Right. Well, and we don't. I mean, we're the Romans were arresting him, <clears throat> and there's lots of. I mean, it's they're soldiers. They're given orders, so right. they don't necessarily know. And um, I know one of the for me again the non scriptorian <laughs> one of my first. Uh, just really gaining a personal testimony of Christ and his life was the um, Fishers of Men series by Gerald Lund many okay. years ago. Right. And I loved reading um, the stories of, of Jesus put into a personality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the culture, within the culture. So many of the parables made so much more sense when I understood the Jew Jewish culture. Um, and I learned best through fiction. And so <laughs> for me, but I remember, I'm pretty sure it's in that series. It may have been elsewhere, but we really because of you know the way things ended with Jonas, we don't really understand exactly what his motivation was. And I've heard it said that um, some speculation is that he was so worried about the Savior. He was so worried about him being um, killed or attacked while he was in Jerusalem with everything that had happened, every you know the tensions where right. they were, that um, something that he may have been trying to protect and he may not have fully understood, this was, was leading happen. to a crucifixion mm -hmm. right. and he would be safer. He might be safer in jail. You know, John the Baptist was, um, he was arrested several times before he was right. killed, you know, and, um, and so that he just may not have fully understood where this That's was going. That's a good point because the Jews couldn't kill him in Jerusalem. Right. right. John the Baptist was killed up in, was it Caesarea Marinara mm -hmm. up the arena up there? So I always say Marinara as a joke, <laughs> and then I say, but I'm not joking. And, uh, Jonah so was bad. the, he was the keeper of the, the Judas. The Judas. Judas, right. Judas. Sorry. Yeah. Judas was, um, he managed the money. Right. And so right. he was responsible for earning the money for the ministry and managing all of those different right. funds and things. And right. so, if he's looking at it in the sense of, okay, this is going to put him in jail where he's safe from people who are tr trying to hurt him, and we're going to get some money to help, the poor. To, to help, the, to help poor. the poor, to help the ministry. Right. Right. So just the, and that's the very far end of the spectrum of what could possibly be involved right. there. But the kiss that feels just, it just um, emphasizes the level of betrayal. Well, regardless of what his motivation. I agree. Was. I do think, though, it's interesting when we lived in Brazil, this idea of greeting with a kiss is a part of the culture. Mm -hmm. And so I do understand that that also is a part of mm -hmm. the culture to, you know, to greet, especially the master or the head mm -hmm. with a kiss. And so I do get that. But I also love the fact that the Savior still called him yeah. friend, even though he knew what Judith right. was doing at the time. But didn't he call him friend? Like when he said, "Ye are my friends," yes. because he was one of right. the apostles, right? And right. so it may have been that stingy moment where, well, my the savior, doing I, this. I, yeah, but it's. It, but I think the savior does that too. It wakes us up yeah. to what we're doing. True, you know, he True. he he brings it to a point where it isn't hidden anymore. He brings it to light, and by saying, "My friend." It was like, oh, this may have been. Yeah. I always wondered if his motivation was also um, that if Christ was put in a situation where he'd have to defend himself yeah. and he'd seen the miracles, that he that could he call do. down the legions of heaven, that mm -hmm. suddenly the spark would happen that would make them free. Yeah. And so if he truly believed that he was the Messiah that would free them and redeem Israel in a, in a physical mm -hmm. way, 
they were probably expecting what, what we expect the millennium to look the second like, coming. for it to be right. incredible and everyone to see. And that Moses moment where the sea parts. <laughs> and here you have the Egyptian empire, which was the hugest empire when the you know pyramids were built. And now you have the Roman empire, yeah, which is just as magnificent. Right? Yeah. And to have Christ become. And so you wonder if he thought he was the spark that would push that to happen. Right. But that's not what Christ's calling. Was. No, he at was that point, so much deeper. That wasn't true. right. That's not his calling at this point. It'll happen, but not it, yet. <laughs> well, and and that kind of goes with the next part that I wanted to just kind of quickly read, and that was about what happened with Peter right after that. <laughs> in that it says, "And behold, one of them." Now, I do want to just make a comment here. In the Matthew version, it doesn't say it was Peter. But if we go to the John 18, in Matthew, it just says it one. Says, it just says so one. He was trying to be polite and not say the name. Right not, that, not say the name. Don't want to name it. <laughs> but the one has the most yeah. violence. But, but John, in John, the version John, we have the name of Peter. But of we also John. have the name of the, the chief priest servant. So we also have the name in John of who was the man that he cut the ear off oh, of. Oh, does it actually say his name? It does. What's his name? It's Mal Malchus, M-A-L-C-H-U-S okay. is his name. And Which actually is often Malchus, because we see Malchus more often than Malchus. It's like they drop the A in the Bible, and I right. don't know why, like right. Ananias. So that's interesting that Malchus, I actually, that makes me happy. I should have named well, my children Malchus. Yeah. No, we also talk about how John, we mentioned this last time, how John probably had some connection with the high priests, you know, that he was probably a relative oh, so to the high priest. So he would have known the name of the servant. My whole life I thought and he was so a he was a high And I was just surprised. No. That he was actually was a, a high servant of the servant. high priest. It was high and it was the servant. priest that came. Mm -hmm. There may have been some Romans, but they didn't bring him. It was kind of like they were doing this incognito without the Romans knowing. Well, we're going to see that. Yeah. Yes, and that's exactly what happened. Him. And then they bring in the Romans. Right. Just and so then this is just the leaders of the church, which is okay. just so wrong. Right. And then I was also going to mention the, the Mark version also uses the name Peter. But it's the Luke version, and that's the only version where the ear is healed. Hmm. The other thing that I want to not, just do, and everyone else just says it's chopped off. It's chopped care. off. They don't say <laughs> anything about the healing. It's only the Luke, and Luke is the physician, right? So that would have so that would have meant, and he would have gotten the story from Mary, who was so sweet. But some people think, sorry, um, Adersheim thinks it was uh, Luke himself that was on the road to Emmaus. Did you read that? Anyway, so you wonder if anyway. That's later. If he knew. Right. So as he drew the sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off the ear, and then said Jesus unto him, put up again the sword unto his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou, and this goes back to your comment, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? that thus it must be. And so for me, this is really significant as the next part, you know, as we look forward to forgiveness that the Lord's going to be giving on the cross, but also this idea that that the Savior is telling Peter, you have to forgive too. You know, this, this is a moment of forgiveness as well. And then we have this idea of Caiaphas and Ananias or Annas. Realize that it's all the same person, but we have the Greek 
the Hebrew, you know, all the different languages that are coming together in this. And so that's the reason why the same name oftentimes is written differently depending on where you're reading. But so they, um, in, in verse 57 and then 59, and they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council. And that's significant too. It wasn't just chief priests and elders, but all of the council. And the council was 71 men taken from the Levites, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, all of them comprised this council. And so all of them were you know, there and they sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. Now, the interesting thing here is this understanding of Caiaphas and Ananias, their relationship. You know, Caiaphas was the high priest during this time, but I know that, realize it's this high priestly family that Ananias was basically the high priest from AD 7 to 14, but his influence is going to continue for many, many decades to come. And so he was, Caiaphas and his family and Ananias were Sadducees. And as a Sadducee, they would have been um, very, they were very wealthy, mm -hmm. and they also had a lot of political control. They were very political. Was, isn't Ananias the high priest before Caiaphas? Yes. Like just recently well, before no, there, there was, was a little, there right, was a little but time between. Also with other sons. Oh, so Caiaphas oh. is his son-in-law. That close. And he had multiple <laughs> no, sons. No, we're talking really we're high family. family. Okay. And Caiaphas was his son-in-law, and then his grandson would become high priest. Right. So it was multiple people. Interesting in how family. the class class distinction goes along with that political distinction. Right. Oh, definitely. Right. We see that a lot, don't yeah. we? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have money, you yeah. have power. And that's kind of what happened. Yeah. And you're from a legacy of power, right. and so that power continues. Right. So for generations, right, and that's but kind that of was kind of the Sadducee thing. Oh yeah, yeah, was it was, was about kind power. of being right, and and being one of the original families that came and being able to pull your lineage back and mm -hmm. prove that you were a blue blood. So this idea of to put him to death, we've already kind of talked about it. They did not have the power to right. put him to death. Only that, Caesar, only Roman. only the Romans could. Well, you know, Pilate right. was the governor at that point. And so the interesting thing here is that they were trying to find people to give a false witness. They couldn't find anyone to give a witness of the well, fact that he had done blasphemy. That is interesting. They couldn't, but in Mark, okay, so the other ones say they couldn't find a witness. Mm -hmm. But in Mark 14, it says the witnesses didn't agree. So they kept on uh, contradicting each other. So you'd have one witness discounted another thing. so they couldn't bring them to Pilate. They, so they right. were looking right. for evidence Conclusion. to prove to Pilate that he was trying to, you know, turn people against the Romans. Right. And that would have been worthy of death. And they couldn't find a witness. They had many witnesses, but everyone hmm. um anyway confounded so each other. Blasphemy, the definition of blasphemy for for the Israelites in the Old Testament law was to revile, despise, mock, or curse God. Now, Jesus Christ never did that. When he said, um, you know, he, he said that I will be on the right hand of power in terms of being, you know, on the right hand of God, 
that was not doing any of those things, those blasphemous right, because things. they all believed as right. followers of Moses that they would each be on the right hand exactly. of God when they died. Mm. So his answer was not to Caiaphas was not blasphemous. No, it wasn't blasphemous. So why does he rent his clothes and say blasphemy? Because Can't he couldn't see him doing that. <laughs> well, no, well, because be what he was proclaiming meant that he was more powerful than them. That's right. right? So especially because they're not going to be on the right hand of God because you're doing this. So you take, you know, we come up with our own colloquial definitions and, and, of oh, things, so you know, blasphemy true. and becomes, you know, anything right. you say that that I don't like with my understanding of God <laughs> is blasphemous. It's an right. easy thing to throw around. That is so interesting. You know? Well, and finally, because blasphemy was a Jewish matter, and right. it, they they couldn't kill him because of right. blasphemy, they do change it for the Romans and say he was seditious. That right. he was saying that you know we want to overthrow the Roman government. And that's what they right. use when they bring up treason of some kind that exactly. he's acting against Caesar. Right. right. And so that's kind of the background of what we're talking about, kind of putting us mm -hmm. into a place of before we start our discussion today with Matthew 27. And I know, Christine, that you were going to talk about Jesus's willingness. You know, it's it's interesting as we follow along after being taken to Pontius Pilate and all these places, you know, instead of at all saying negative things or why are you doing this to me or what's happening instead there's a silent calm and peacefulness that even everybody comments on that you know why aren't you saying something and right so what are your thoughts on that well i i do think that um we had talked about that uh nephi scripture did you have that oh nephi yes 19? i do nephi 199 and for for me, oh, it's really an interesting one because it just goes so beautifully in terms of everything that happened right. to the Savior. And he says, And the world, because of their iniquity, shall judge him to be a thing of naught. Wherefore, they scourge him, and he suffereth it. They smite him, and he suffereth it. Yea, they spit upon him, and he suffereth it because of his loving kindness and his long suffering towards the children of men. It's almost poetry, you know, when you read that verse, you know, right. you know, they spit upon him, he suffereth it, scourge him, suffereth it. It's beautiful. Well, right after we said that, um, that uh, Caiaphas, well, in John, it says he goes to Ananias first, takes him to the house of Ananias, which may have been a mighty home. And Ananias wants to get the scoop of who really Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And he asks him and the Savior answers nothing. Right. And so Ananias is, I'm sure, offended and shocked. So they take him to the high priest palace, and that's where the Sanhedrin, I consider them the Senate. It'd be mm -hmm. like the Senate, right, our the Senate, council, mm -hmm. because it's the, the leader. And they all come together, and they ask him the questions. And again, they can't find witnesses. And then secondly, they, um, oh, in the end, Christ does say, he says, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the living God? In 63, that's uh, Matthew 26, verse 63. And Christ says, Thou hast said. And nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And that's what infuriates him. And I mm -hmm. love you saying that. There may have been that undertone that you won't be there, my friend. <laughs> right. And so um, it it infuriates him. 
And so he says that he is guilty of death in verse 66. And so they take him to the pit. And if you go there now, you can see where that high priest thing is. And then they bring you down. They show you the pit in Jerusalem. It's one of the it's places startling show you. how uh, you can but just you wonder imagine if it wasn't just Christ, but all the people that have suffered in there. Mm -hmm. It just is a place of suffering. And you know how there's echoes of like in beautiful places so you feel the, the echo pit of is joy. like a an underground jail like, cell yes that it's, a, it's like a, a it's like a it's dungeon a pit. it's yeah. a hole it's a, it's a mm -hmm. hole and so they had gone down there and there it says they spit on his face and then it says they buffeted him and i was curious because we don't use that phrase very much we talked about what it may mean and i looked it up and in greek it means hitting someone with your fist it means punching. Oh, I wow. never knew that. And it was interesting because Tristy was saying how like a, a ship is buffeted with waves, you know, where they come over and over it's again. A, it's a hitting. So that it's it's punching with your fists. Okay. Wow. And then they smote him with their open palms. Um, and so, and they blindfolded him and said, who did this? And then they'd hit him or punch mm -hmm. him. And, and so prophesy. Right. Prophesy. And during that time, right. and you go back to what Christ said, that he could have called down legions to stop it. Mm -hmm. And you wonder with the, the 70 that were there with the Sanhedrin, if any of them were wondering, like Judas, is he going to now? you know, bring down the legions? Are we going to have this corruption that we know is within the church gone and ripped out and freed? Are we going to, what's going to happen? And again, they have believed for hundreds and hundreds of years that they were going to be saved by militant power. Right. They were going right. to be physically free. And so, so they're watching, still waiting. They're just letting it happen. And yeah. you, it's just, it's such, it's so bizarre. And then they take him to Pilate. And at Pilate, they bring him before Pilate. And I was so touched by what you said at Pilate that uh, you really believe Pilate believed. I do believe that Pilate believed because his, we also know that his wife had yeah. that dream. Mm -hmm. And and she said, you know, don't be a part of this. Yeah. You know, there's something here. And the fact that Pilate was the one that actually put the sign, the king saying of the that Jews. he was the king of the Jews, and he said, "I will not." And take washes it down. his hands, right? And washes but, his hands. But the thing that interests me is they bring him to Pilate, and they first ask, you know, what has he done, and then Pilate takes him, and he puts on the purple robe, puts on the plaited thorns, and um, and scourges him and whips him. So he would have whipped him till his skin you know, was ripped like, open. It would be horrible. Mm -hmm. And he did it hoping that would be enough. And then he places him on the Gabbatha, which is the raised elevated throne in the middle of this huge courtyard of where they would do the trials, the hall of judgment, right. thinking, you know, here is your king. This would be enough. And look, he's, right. and, and so he was thinking it would be enough. It would satisfy them that he had so humiliated him publicly that it would be enough for them to let him go. And still, they that's when they it all scream, crucify him, him, crucify him. So then he takes Jesus. And this, I, I know I've read it before, but I read it again. And it just, it broke my heart because he takes him alone. And he asks them, I have the power to save you. Say anything. Let me save you. And Christ says... You can't save me. I need to do this. 
And you just, he's like begging him. So all he can do is write King of the Jews. Right. And those that will remember and know will know. And it's the first time I've agreed with you about this. Oh. <laughs> well, I hope I we've agreed about things I, oh, you are. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, oh, because I was looking for it when you said it this morning. Right. And went back and reread it. And when he pulls him to the side and does that final asking, right. uh, you do get that feeling. That he really did oh. understand. And, and yet you imagine couldn't, you know what I'm saying, his hands. save him because right. Christ had to go through this. And he says that to, um, that he needs to go through this task to be done. And that willingness. And I think every time that we take the sacrament, and it says that we are willing to keep the commandments and that we were willing. I think of that willingness of Christ, that he had the ability to, to call down the legions. He had the ability to save himself, but this had to be done. And he did submit himself to the will of the Father. And it, it is just, it is shocking it is. how much, you know, he went through at this time. Well, and I know, Josie, you were going to talk about the mocking. Mm-hmm. And and how I, I just you know it it hurts when people make fun of you. It really right. it's it's so painful in terms of your spirit just is pained. Yeah, and I think it's something that that we can all relate to a little bit, maybe a little bit better than the physical um, beatings that he was taking. I mean, of course that would be horrendous, but that's fully imagining for me anyway. You right. know, I've never been physically assaulted in such a way where I haven't felt. Um, you know, where I felt anything close to that. But mockery, you know, embarrassment, humiliation, we've all felt that. That's something all of us can um, can relate to and maybe, you know, not in a, even a religious context, but somewhere in our lives, we've all done that. And I think it's interesting that, <clears throat> excuse me, all four of the Gospels mentioned the mockery. Like it was a big enough deal that they all oh. include it, I believe. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. when I reviewed it. And um, that that was... There, that was a powerful part of this whole, of this whole process. Um, maybe part of that breaking, breaking the spirit, that kind of emotional abuse that comes from that. Um, that it isn't just physical. Um, they were trying anything they could to to cause him pain, and I'm sure that it did, and it hurt the people who loved him. And because if you've ever had someone you love that's been embarrassed or bullied or something like that, you know it's it's miserable. So the emotional impact, I think of that as, is something we can, we can all connect to, um, you know, exacerbated in a form such as that on top of the physical. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll all have an opportunity within our faith, I'm sure we all have, of being left out or, um, or humiliated or embarrassed or, um, and, you know, that's, that's part of, of being a follower. And I think we can take it a step further and also um, mind the way that we talk about people who don't feel the way we do, whether it's religiously or politically or whatever. It's easy to look at the surface of someone else's beliefs and think that's ridiculous. That makes no sense at all. Um, and, and are we ever the ones that are creating that embarrassment or mockery or, or um, emotional hurt because we feel justified in, in what our opinion is? Thank you theirs. for bringing that up because I, I just feel so strongly about that point. I think all too often we, we look at this and look at it from the viewpoint of the Savior and what he's going through. 
But I love that that other view of are we mocking other people? Yeah. You know, are are we on the other end? Are we the ones that are doing it rather than am I experiencing it? Yeah. But am I doing the same thing to other people? Yeah. The way that we talk about it, I have um, so I have kids that are that are gay, and it's interesting. People don't always know that. And it's interesting the way people will talk about um, something that for me is, you know, I these are my kids and I love them. Mm. And I don't have issues with their lifestyle. That's just that's just me. Um, but the way people will talk or make fun or, and I think this is serious for me, for them. Um, and I know it comes from a place of not understanding or maybe not having, not not being madly in love with someone who has that disposition but it's easy to do and I hear it all the time and yet it hurts me every time someone says it and sometimes you get really tired of trying to defend and explain and educate Um, but you know we have circumstances all the time and we don't know who's hearing that when we when we make thoughtless or to us it seems you know like a, a joke but it isn't no I thank you for that comment, because I do think that's something we all have to think about, especially as we move forward. Now, along with that, I wanted to talk a little bit about how Jesus um, suffered alone so that I don't have to. And for me, this was something that just really touched my heart. Uh, Elder Holland gave a beautiful conference talk where he talked about how the Savior did suffer alone. And yet that we, especially as we read and study his words, that we can actually support him. Mm-hmm. And that oftentimes we think, you know, we think about that. And he said, don't ever let the Lord suffer alone once you understand who this Savior is and understand what he did for us. But along with that, I also wanted to talk about a talk by Elder Dallin H. Oaks where he said, our Savior experienced and suffered the fullness of all mortal challenges according to the flesh, so he could know, according to the flesh, how to succor, which means to give relief or aid to his people according to their infirmities. He therefore knows our struggles, our heartaches, our temptations, our sufferings, for he willingly experienced them all as an essential part of the atonement. And because of this, his atonement empowers him to succor us, to give us the strength to bear it all. Now, when we talk about the atonement, realize that the atonement has two parts. It has the Garden of Gethsemane, but it also has the dying on the cross. And so when we, we've we already talked you know, extensively about the atonement in terms of the, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, but now we're really talking about this part of the atonement in terms of where he took upon him these physical pains, the physical pain of death, and taking upon himself all of these physical pains, the buffetings that we've been talking about, you know, the spitting, the mockery, all these things that we've discussed. So I do want to ask, how does this knowledge of the Savior, the fact that he did this alone for us, how does this sucker us when sometimes we feel very alone when things like this happen to us? Do you have any thoughts? I don't know. Has you talked about the mockery? And then I think of that not one of the 12 stood up to him, but they all fled. And it says multiple times they fled. And Mark 
is he was bathing in the river and he just threw on a little towel and ran off. But um, but that they all left and and even though he'd been surrounded by multitudes yeah. and the thousands he had fed, and you think out of all of that effort he put forward, not having a single person come forward and stand by his side, you know, come to Pilate and how everyone yelled. Well, it says all Jerusalem, and I always think it was the Sanhedrin on the front row. But, um, <laughs> but I, yeah, you do wonder why none of those thousands of people that saw, you know, his miracles came forward. Where was the those that were healed? Why didn't they say I was the one healed and scream above the crowd? And and I to me that's the hardest part is when you feel like you've given and you've loved and you've cared. And in that moment where you're expecting them to stand by you, none of them did. And that, to me, is harder than mockery. Because yeah. if someone's going to make fun of me, it's like, meh, I don't care that much. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'm more involved than that. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> but when people that you've loved yeah. don't respond as you mm-hmm. expect them, that pain. That hurts. And Christ knows that pain. So the fact that he knows when um, those things which rarely happen, but when they do, they ache for a long time. <laughs> but he knows that feeling, and it it makes you not feel alone. Because yeah. sometimes, don't you feel like when someone um, gives you solace and they have no idea what you're going through, right? You're just like I, so <laughs> you know you can't even imagine. Especially it. when they say, "I know how you feel." Oh, and don't you just want to punch them? You do not. <laughs> well, I know. No, it does. It hurts. It right. does hurt when you have that. But Christ does know. But Christ right. does know. And I think just that that, that base knowledge is something. And it's hard for me to really compare it because I've I've been raised in the church. Like I've always had that. Although my understanding of it has certainly changed mm-hmm. as I've grown and developed. A, you know, a personal testimony and a personal relationship um with god but but just that that idea that oh, i totally lost my train of thought you guys <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure it was a good idea yes sure okay good idea. i'm sorry i'm trying to understanding that you know i i know when i'm desperate you know and you're like okay but the sun will come up tomorrow like i know that it will come out right. no matter how dark the night gets and i know that christ did suffer that even on those times when you don't really feel it um you know reminding yourself almost like an affirmation you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that he he does know that he did suffer that because also like how do we really like i don't fully understand the atonement i don't know why it had to happen this way um i remember packer gave a talk several years ago that i found a lot of relief in cuz he said the same thing he goes we don't he goes i don't, don't I, look, I read that he goes i don't right. fully understand <laughs> it why was that what was necessary why wasn't right. there a different way um but it is how it happened and i do believe that and we get to partake of that so that, that's an interesting well i did want to read the end this the that darkness was over all the land, you know, at this point. And, you know, I think it's interesting how we're going to talk in just a moment about how even the world, I mean, the earth itself also felt the pain and suffering of what was happening. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Eli lama samakthani. I wish I, I, I wish that Annette was here because she's fluent <laughs> and, and she could say it the way it should be said. That is this that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For me, this is so significant because when we talked about 
the other, you know, the other part of the atonement in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says the same thing, that, you know, why hast thou forsaken me? And here on the cross, he has that same moment where he says, you know, Father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he said, some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth, calleth for Elias. Oh. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. And the rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. And I think that's an interesting comment on humanity in general, in that, you know, they are seeing this more as a spectacle rather than understanding what is really happening. Instead, they're like, okay, look, I want to see if, you know, some great event is happening, not realizing that the fact that he said these things, that was the great event. And then um, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And, and that was the end of his suffering. So as I was thinking about that, I thought, um, how has this suffering affected your life as you think and ponder about it? I mean, for me, as I said at the very beginning, um, it's painful. It hurts my heart to think and ponder about this. But how can that suffering help us to also find the joy? How can we find joy even though we too suffer as we read these verses? It's, it's just painful to read. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that the only time they're helpful for me is when I'm also suffering. So I feel like I haven't suffered alone. I think it's so easy for us to isolate when we're not, when we're having a hard time or when things have fallen apart in our lives. And that isolation, if we turn to Christ, we can see that he went through that same period of suffering and isolation. And so it it will draw us out. But it is hard. It, it's, it's something that isn't pleasant and was necessary. But for me, it's like the birth of a child. And I was talking about this before, that when people tell their horrible birth stories, it's like, I just need to know the child's there and happy. I don't need to know the, the rest of the stuff. The <laughs> and I feel like we're watching the travail right. of the atonement, the labor and delivery story. And it was one of those horrible ones where, you know, the baby was born without anesthetic and they had to actually cut into you. And <laughs> I mean, it's, it's that horrible. And so... Um, it is. It was great pain, but it, but time and time again, you have those moments where, like, you wonder about the person that brought him the vinegar to give him relief. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You wonder about you know those that that tried, and even Peter denying, but trying to stay so close right. and being and surrounded, his mother, and his mother being mm -hmm. there, and the fact that John. Right. Was, was there. right there at was the feet. right there at the feet during this whole and time. So, so was he, the wife of Cleopas. She right, was right there beside. Right. So it's like they were all there together. And so there was this kind of outpouring. There were little bits of light, but it still it was what had to be done. Right. And I think that's the part where I find some solace in this is that it was necessary. It was purposeful. And right. um and without all the good that he'd done. That, and we know a greater degree than even those people, you know, even his own followers did at that time. But the good that he'd done, it was, it had to, this was how it was completed. 
and um, you know during periods of suffering, just that the reminder that there's purpose in this too. There's purpose in us individually and for people that are watching and seeing how we're getting through that. I mean, I take inspiration from watching the way other people rise above their struggles, you know, and, and, and it had to happen. You know, I think of, you know, when he's on the cross, you know, why have you forsaken me? So I have right. some of my screaming car prayers. You know? oh. <laughs> I don't know if anybody does that. When you're by yourself, right. you know, and, I hear you, and I during hear you. a, a yes. few bouts of just really hard time. I remember I just like, this is what you want for me. Yeah. This is what you want for me. Because again, we have faith in this omnipotence, right? right. Like we, we believe we, he could have called the, the angels. The God could have just sent the angels. You know, there's, you know, that believing, um, I have someone really close to me who lost a child at, at eight months. I mean, it was just horrific, oh. so awful. And they said that that belief in the omnipotence was part of the sting because they're like, I believe so strongly in his power. And he chose not he to save my me. baby. He could have saved yes. it. He could have. And then she went through all the pain of childbirth without a child at the end, which mm -hmm. we've you know, people, we suffer to that degree oh, sometimes, absolutely. you know, but, but that just that omnipotence sometimes is, is harsh too. And yet there's, there's purpose and there is resolution, which we get to get to in the next lesson. Exactly. Thank goodness. The but yeah, that pleasure that. and pain, that wow. balance that right. is all a part of our life, but also it didn't last forever. I mean, it was excruciating. Oh. And I always think of Mary through these scenes oh, and course. what it would be like to watch your child who you, I mean, you know, his connection to God, but just your child to, oh, I cannot even, I can't even fathom what that was like, but it didn't last forever. Mm -hmm. The world was not stuck in that moment forever, but it was a necessary thing. Hundreds of people who'd been a part of his ministry or the working against him, there were things for each of them individually to learn here. There was the collective work of his, of the atonement of that, of everything. And we, that's, you know, that's part of why we are still studying it all these years later is because of how it ended. Well, in Doctrine and Covenants 19, and I feel like I need to read this, was, um, it's interesting here, this is the only first person account that we have of the atonement. This is when the Savior himself, it's not somebody else describing it, but it's the Savior describing what happened. And and I think as we think about this, I, I it's the, the last verse, number 19. We're going to read 16 to 19, but it's the last verse, verse 19. For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. So there is an if there, you know, in terms of, when we talk about our own suffering, that we don't have to suffer alone, but sometimes if we don't turn to Christ, we might suffer alone just because we aren't turning to him. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I, which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit and would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. And that goes back to your comment. I mean, all of us can feel that and relate to that, how, you know, we don't want to have to go through that bitter bitterness and pain and suffering. But this is the part that I think we need to look forward to. Nevertheless, glory be to the Father. And I partook and finished my preparations unto the children of men. Mm -hmm. 
And that goes right into your comment about forgiveness. Right. And I think that the Savior did, even from the very moment on the cross when he's feeling the most pain, the most agony, yet he does forgive those that have done this to him. Well, um, and, and so we're kind of going backwards. We are going backwards because we talked about <laughs> from the, the, the end. Cross, but, but now um, going forward, right. back. But um, right. the, so there are, I always, there's four statements that are made on the cross mm-hmm. when Christ is on the cross. And the very first one, just right after he's put on the cross, as and you wonder as the nails are going in his hands, um, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then the next one he says is to the two thieves, today you will see me in paradise. And then, um, woman, behold thy son. And, you know, so that his mother would be taken care of. And then finally, sorry, I just am drippy. <laughs> no, and... <laughs> I, told, I warned people it was going to be a, a, a drippy <laughs> but, discussion um, today. So, But it is interesting because the very first thing he does at the very onset is, Father, forgive them. And I was shocked with that because I was thinking it was later or maybe at the end was, of the pain. Did the you very, realize it was the first? I did not. Because they haven't even like been that horrible. I mean, it hasn't been through the whole thing. Oh, right. I don't know. I guess he's nails been through in the, all of that. Nails in your hand and in your Well, wrist, and you wonder he was saying even to that, all of where, them. Even if it right after, you know, after the actual nails, ugh, you know, but he's already thinking of forgiveness. Right. That it's it's right at the <laughs> like, beginning. Can we be mad for a minute? <laughs> right. Right. And so um, I, I thought how Peter had asked and I looked and it was only in the very last um, discussion they had before they came to Jerusalem for the Passover. Peter came to Christ. Did you know it was that recent? Mm. See, she knows everything. Is <laughs> I never shock her. I know, but I, know. I was shocked that it was that recent that Peter said, how often do we have to forgive? Right. Oh, I right. didn't realize that. We either. have to forgive, forgive seven times. And he said, no, seven times. Seven Gosh, times. that's so hard. Which is more than you would ever count. Right, so exactly. that it that's just the means point, forever. Right? That, that stop counting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I was very touched by that. Um, but I think the key to forgiving is having the right mindset towards the person that has hurt you. And um, I, when I worked, and I talk about this too much, but when I worked at the group home with kids that were in foster care, I saw over and over again kids that would fight and hurt other children. But in almost every instance, they had been injured or abused, and they were just reflecting Mm -hmm. their own pain. And so people would start out new or hadn't served at the group home before, Mm -hmm. and they'd see a child lash out, and they'd be like, how can you be so mean? And you're like, it's because he is hurting. It's a reflection of his injury. So I never blame them for bad behavior. Instead, you try and help them see other people are like you, and you don't want to be like the abuser that hurt you. Right. You never want to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. And so if you take them there, it's easier for them to lift and shift. And so I was touched because I was looking at different experiences of how we forgive and how we forgive people that have truly intentionally hurt us. It's easy when it's like an accident. Like right. if somebody like accidentally hits your car or accidentally swipes you and at first you're angry and then you think, oh, maybe they're on their way to the hospital. Maybe right. their intent. But what if their intention is real? 
to hurt you then. Well, and what if it's someone that you have to interact with for the rest of your life? It becomes like sometimes those gospel principles, I think maybe they were all here just for our families. (laughs) (laughs) Because yeah, someone I'm never going to see again, not to discount how difficult that can be right but, but if it's someone you're someone close that you, to and that you have to, to that interact with. or that you have trusted right or you and you want to trust again i mean it puts a whole different spin it, on it what so forgiveness does. really can right. be but i think it's seeing that person through the eyes that the lord did yeah. and president Irene told a story of when he was a young bishop that a new convert got drunk and crashed into a bank and he crashed into the very front window of the bank and the security guard had his gun out and he's like, don't shoot, I'm a Mormon. (laughs) And so they called the bishop to come get him. And he, um, President Eyring, was not happy about the situation because he's a new convert, he's drunk, and then he's got to go pick him up. And so he just is, you know, like I'm sure creating this scenario of how he's going to bring him to task in his mind. And he's thought... To the Lord, what do I do? What do I say to this young man? And he said that the Lord said, sorry, I'm just crying all the time. I'm going to let you see him the way I see him. And he said as he walked in the room, he saw a bright, noble son of God who had made one bad choice. And so he said his discussion with him totally changed, Mm -hmm. trying to help him see himself the way the Lord Lord saw him and how with the Lord and with the Holy Ghost in our heart, that forgiveness can truly happen even when it doesn't make sense. And I think of Christ looking down and seeing them (laughs) through his eyes and thinking, oh, Lord, forgive them because they're their father, because they're going to be in such trouble. (laughs) And I really want, Mm -hmm. you know, for them not to have that in their life. Um, President Hinckley said, and you know how there's some times that prophets have said things that just like resonated through your oh, bones. Yeah. That just this touched your heart. About, and maybe it's because I was a, an angsty teenager when he said <laughs> But I remember he said, if there be any within the sound of my voice who nurture in their hearts the poisonous brew of enmity toward another, I plead with you to ask the Lord for strength to forgive. This expression of desire will be the very substance of your repentance. It will not be easy. It may not come quickly, but it will come. Mm. And so through Christ, because he could forgive anybody, we can forgive anyone too. Well, I wanted to end today with a happy, a little, <laughs> little hopeful, happy. I know, like I said, I knew this was going to be a hard one. I knew this was going to be very difficult. But at the very end, after you know he's gone through the suffering and he calls out and he gave up the ghost, we do have an interesting thing that happens. And this is before the Easter morn. This is right after that happens on the cross. And I'm, I'm reading specifically in Matthew 27, and this is right after he gave up the ghost, and in verse 51, and it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. 
That's you know, amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> and and the thought came to mind about what happened here in America during that same time. So we also have what happened right then in terms of the destruction. Obviously, the earth was rocked solid because of the creator of the earth was being killed. And so we have this in, in chapter 8 of Third Nephi, verse 6, it says, And there was also a great terrible tempest, and there was terrible thunder, insomuch that it did shake the whole earth as if it was about to divide asunder. So very similar description about what happened here as to what happened, you know, there at the time of him giving up the ghost. But the thing that fascinated me is we also had that second part where the saints came and appeared to people. And I, I was thinking about that, how joyous that would be. You know, how, how wonderful. Can you imagine if you had, you know, a beloved grandmother who had been, you know, passed on, or I think of our mother, you know, how glorious that would be for her to come. And, you know, even as a spirit to come and, and talk to me. And so that happened there, and we have that record. But here we have an interesting thing, because in, in 3 Nephi 8, that is not mentioned. But when the Savior came, and it would have been at what we figure a year, a little bit over a year, when he came here and appeared to himself and appeared to the Nephites in Bountiful, he asked them to bring the records that they had kept. And he said, did not the prophet Samuel, here, well, I'll read it. And he said, verily I say unto you, I commanded my servant Samuel the Lamanite that he should testify unto this people that at the day that the father should glorify his name in me, that there were many saints who should arise from the dead and should appear unto many and shall minister unto them. And he said unto them, was it not so? And his disciples answered him and said, yea, Lord. Samuel did prophesy according to thy words, and they were all fulfilled. Hmm. So obviously that same thing happened in terms of them where the saints came and visited them at the same moment after the Savior was, was crucified. It is interesting that we don't have any of those specific visitations. So you wonder if they were personal, if they were things that had to do with your life. Or your aunt, or your mother, Ooh, or someone thinking of it that, that was really I've never really righteous. thought of it in such a personal way. Because it, it wasn't for the group; it was for those. It was for the individual, and that's yeah. why they probably felt like it didn't need to be written in a history hmm. of, in essence, the church because it wasn't church related. Because it would have been huge, you know. It would be one of those moments that you tell, but it wasn't about. They didn't think that it was about everything. Well, and also realize it was for the righteous saints. I mean, these right. were righteous people that are right. bringing up, and they were also going to their righteous, you know, progeny. And right. so you're right. dealing with, you know, people who Although are righteous. if you choose, wouldn't you go to the one who was struggling? I mean, maybe they did. It doesn't say they went to it the righteous. It sounds like a Christmas carol, right? <laughs> I mean, All honestly, over if you, after you died, could choose who you'd go to, I can think who I'd go to, and it wouldn't be my righteous children. But maybe it would be. <laughs> maybe it would be who's true. who's in the who's already put themselves in a position where they can oh, best see, utilize. Just, okay, just be what good. what I'm giving them to to teach, like, and their you know, and their hearts are already soft, and right. they'll believe it. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, we have examples in the scriptures. You know, uh, 
uh, Lemon and Lemuel, right. they, they right. still wonderful the angel, manifestations, but it, didn't, right. but it wasn't quite enough. Mm -hmm. You know, they they still struggle. And it, it wasn't about knowledge. It's about conversion. Right. You're right. right. But I, I get it. <laughs> I get what you're saying, too. It could be either ones. way. But that would, that's amazing. Well, as we t kind of end our discussion, I, I would like to think... So I know whenever we have a, a birthday in our family, we contemplate you know, uh, special times in their lives or things that they've learned about the person or, you know, special things about the person. Well, as we come to this wonderful study of the Savior's life, I wanted to also end on a little high and positive. And I just thought each one of us could share just an insight of something that we've had in the Savior's life that has really touched us during this last six months of intensive study in terms of the Savior. And so do you have some some thoughts or new insights that you've gained from this study this year of the Savior's life? So many. But um, I don't know. There's, I was as like things were dancing through my head. I thought of the feeding of the 5,000, which I love, and that there were leftovers, that there's always enough. And, it, that. and that's the way the Savior was. There was mm -hmm. always enough. And even when he's so tired and he's going through grief, Suffer the children to come to me. You know, it's like there's there's always, I'll always be there. You don't, it doesn't matter if it's inconvenient. It doesn't matter if I'm emotionally struggling with something else. I'm always available. I love it. I love that. Um, I think kind of my overall insight, and I've known this before with the parables. Again, I love I love stories and I love, I learn a lot from fiction. You know, if you put, <laughs> you put a time period in a fictional setting, I will absorb that information so much better than in a textbook or a nonfiction mm -hmm. um, setting. But um, So I've always loved the parables, and I've found a few parables that I can turn in my own mind to relate to other things and, and other ways that that parable could be told. But that realization of he was coming up with stories to capture um, principles, and he was relating them to what people would relate to at that time, which for us sometimes puts us at a disadvantage because I'm not a farmer and I'm not a fisherman, you know, so That's how does true. that that apply? So, which again, I love being able to study Christ's time to get a better understanding of that. But, um, you know, just that there's power in the stories. Mm -hmm. There's power in the parables. There's power in the stories of Jesus's life. And, but it takes that, that study and it takes that time and, and it does take that work of applying it directly to ourselves. Um, for me, sometimes scriptures are tricky that way because I'm like, why not be a little more clear? Mm -hmm. And, you know, different teachings in the church, you know, be a little more direct. You know, I, yeah. I don't want to have to work so hard. <laughs> but as you work hard, you gain that personal um, understanding of it, that personal connection to it. And it, and it takes both. It takes hearing those stories and then putting that personal application. And I, I love the New Testament. I, I resonate with that book of scripture more than the other books of scripture. Um, and I love that we get the chance to study it in more detail. And I am very impressed with you guys and your, <laughs> and your understanding. <laughs> of this. Oh, what, a, what a cool thing to get to learn it's from you. Fun. Well, I, I wanted to share, as we talk about women read scripture, one of the things that has really touched me is the fact that our Savior Jesus Christ, James E. Talmadge says this, that our Savior Jesus Christ was the ennobler of women. And so one thing that I have really gained as we've studied the life of the Savior is how much he loved the women and how much the women disciples 
played such an important role in the life of the Savior. And the fact that they were in a society where that would not have been the case, and yet the Savior took the time to care for and help these women to learn of him during a time where the women would not have had that opportunity. Yet he realized that their hearts were ready. We think of the woman at the well. And the one that also really struck me was the woman that came to, and we talked about this in terms of, you know, Simon, who had, the Pharisee, who had asked him to come and eat. And then this, this woman had come in and was washing the Savior's feet. And the thought that came into my mind was... And we never know her name. And we don't She's know... She's Spicknard. No, we don't. We always call her the Spicknard. I know, Spicknard. <laughs> Spicknard woman. <laughs> I know. Spicknard. And, but I love the way the Savior handled that experience in that he put down this man of power and lifted this woman, this humble woman, mm-hmm. in terms of um, in front of men of power, instead put her above these other men. And I am not saying that, you know, that we should always do that, but I am saying that he acknowledged her spirituality. Right. And he acknowledged who she was. And so uh, I just wanted to end with this. And he said, and he looked, he took it down and, uh, whoops, I'm sorry, that was the wrong one. Instead, I'm... All right, you're going to have to cut this one out because I I missed it. (laughs) All right, you cut it, cut it. It's right here, but I hit the wrong one. So cut that one little part out. Thank you. (laughs) And so instead, I wanted to leave with, with this thought that the Savior gave to this lovely woman. Thou gavest me no kiss, and he's talking to Simon. And he says, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. I just wanted to end with my love for the Savior. And it is a weepy, a weepy time. But um, for me, that has been something that I've really gained a great love for, is my Savior, Jesus Christ. And thank you for both of your testimonies today of your love for the Savior as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.